Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, or Padumaro, and Hats on Lambs. It's episode 56. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. This week, we're going to talk about how our draft week went, thank our patrons, do card of the week, our seven-win run breakdown, our main topic... Uh, we decided to run it back again this week from a couple weeks ago, but this time talking about rares. And then finally, we'll end our show. So uh, <laughs> That's what we're doing at the end of the show, is we're yeah. ending it this time. Yeah. You know, sometimes we're experimenting with something new. Yeah. Sometimes it might not seem like we're going to get there, but I'm feeling <laughs> good about this one. For those of you who have never listened to the very end of the show, there's going to be an ending on this one. So how was your draft week, Hats? Uh, I had a little bit of a rough week this this week, actually. Um, I had a, a couple of days that reminded me of of the olden times when I used to draft for several hours in a row and get on kind of a losing streak and then get frustrated and get worse at draft and yet somehow not be able to stop drafting. So uh, I, I had a couple of those this week, and... Um, uh, and and that was frustrating, but uh, I had such a I had such a long period where I was doing well that I I think it was probably about time for variants to come and bite me in the butt. So that's what happened. Um, I haven't had a seven win draft in a little while, and I'll just have to sort of get back in sync with the format, or else uh, play a little less, play when I'm more alert, um, whatever it is. All of the things that you do when you're not playing. Uh, not uh not playing at your peak and uh i've have been experimenting with like trying to draft different types of decks and stuff and that always uh that can always be a little bit rough too because uh maybe you don't know how to or 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 you're out of confidence or maybe just everyone else has figured out the format um and like once the format starts feeling a little bit solved, like everybody basically knows what they're doing, it, uh, then the competition tends to be consistently at a high level, and it's hard to win quite as much. So maybe a lot of those things together. Who knows? Um, anyway, so a little bit rough, but I'm optimistic about the future. Plus, there's uh, there's there's cube drafting coming up for the first time, so we'll get to draft with an entirely new set if we're willing to pay the entry cost and get rewards that we don't want. So <laughs> we're going to do that. I'm going to definitely play a couple of Scion drafts yeah. uh, just to see what it's like because I enjoy cube uh, drafting. For anybody who doesn't know cube drafting, uh, I'm still answering the question how your draft week went, by the way. For anybody who doesn't know, cube drafting uh, is an old Magic the Gathering thing where someone would come in with a big block of cards, one, uh, of, of individual cards uh, in sort of like a cube ish container and then would would divide them into packs and then people would uh, draft them around the table and uh they would usually be like the most powerful cards in magic the gathering's past and then you could play them all together in a draft deck temporarily um and magic online has done that as well and this is the first time eternal is doing it it's letting you draft you don't get to keep the cards but you get to play with a whole library of cards from all through eternal's history uh try to put all of these big fun splashy powerful cards together and uh make crazy decks that you normally wouldn't be able to do in a limited format so i'll definitely try that a couple of times and then the downside is that i think the reward is like packs of cards rather than gold so it's not sustainable the way regular draft is if you're good at it so 
I think they, there may be a few tweaks before everyone really embraces what they're doing, but I'm still looking forward to it nonetheless. Uh, yeah, that's it. I've answered the question, how was your draft week? How was your draft week, Patrick? <laughs> mine, mine was okay. I, um, the, I hadn't drafted for a little while, and then I kind of went on, uh, I don't know, hot streak might be overstating it, but I got a, a few seven-win runs in a row, and now I'm slowly sort of dwindling down from that. I got a five win run and then two three. I went two I've had two three and threes and this last this draft I'm currently in is maybe not looking like it's gonna go much past that <laughs> either. But um I've been I've been feeling better about the format, at least than when I was when I hated everything. Yeah. Um, That's good. So I guess yeah, so that's what is good. your what is your current deck all about? I have this I don't know what what I've been really struggling with in these last couple drafts is just getting the fixing, and I think I'm maybe just not valuing fixing highly enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've kind of gone between like um, I've had a couple drafts where. I went hard into two colors in the first three packs and then pack four and then didn't take up a lot of fixing because I was a two color deck and then pack four, a totally different color would be open. Mm-hmm. And I just like passed all of these great cards. Cause I just felt like I couldn't make them into the deck. You know, okay. like I had, a, I had a stone scar, deck going into pack three and then i pass like i think three water conjurings and it's just like there it's a great card but it's a it's a double influence and without any fact fixing it's not like a very easy splash and it's just like oh man i could have been like a really good um menace is it i don't know what it is yeah yeah menaces is right yeah 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 primal uh primal shadow fire yes a very good menace deck, but I don't know. And it that so I felt like there's just been a few bad random variance things. Like I don't know why Shadow and Fire were all of a sudden cut in pack four when they were really open pack one in um one, two, and three. But but this this current deck I have had the opposite problems where I just kept picking really strong cards and then by the end it was just I just, all the strangers dried up, all the fixing really dried up, and then I just didn't see any fixing, more or less, pack four. And so I have, like, powerful cards and four colors, but also a lot of influence requirements, too. Um, so, and a very low unit count. So I've kind of turned, I I took uh, what we talked about in this last episode uh, and kind of upped my power count and lowered my unit count, which we didn't talk about, but kind of went in a more controlling route, yeah. kind of relying on Victor's Feast and recurring that. And Recurring Victor's Feast is a lot of fun. Yeah, I did manage to do that and survive, but I just have a, a just like I have all the powerful cards. It's just, I don't know if I'm going to be able to play them, nor have the unit count to survive to play them. Right. You know, I have like a Strange Navigator. I have um, the... Uh, the legendary Gr- Grodov's something, the, um, the relic. 
the relic. That's very expensive, though. That one. It's five cost, and it, but it gives all your units exalted. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's good. It's definitely good. But you, I think it's better in if you do have a bunch of units because you've got to have two units on board for exalted to mean anything. Yeah, but I have a um, the explorer ring. I have infinite units. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. yeah, you've got infinite tiny units. Yeah. Yeah. They just keep making each other larger. Right. Who's ever done really talking to that? That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Only flyers. A, what? Only flyers. Yeah, that's true. I'm a little soft to flyers. But I, I have a strange navigator, to, or strange whatever it's called, strange burglar, to kill myself and draw a lot of cards while I'm... to sack all my exalted units. Right. Make my other units bigger. That does sound like fun if you can get all those pieces going. It's happened once. So <laughs> that felt great. My opponent conceded after I uh, I turned back timed my uh, my victor's feast. All right. Anyway, so that was... I'm going to cut most of that. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I am... Uh, I, I'm interested about how this uh, this cube draft will go. You know, it's a little different than normal cube because I think I think it's a pool of card that they're just making pack froms as compared to like solely singleton, which a lot of cubes are. So you can end up with duplicates. Yeah, that yeah. might be the that might be the situation. Yeah, which I think is a fine concession. I mean, or it's not even really a concession because it's not like singleton is necessarily the be all end all of great draft formats you know what would happen in a in a cube sometimes is that there uh, is that people who are experienced with it um would end up drafting the same decks over and over again because they were almost guaranteed to see all the cards they needed if the cards weren't needed by more than one deck so like if there would be one person at the deck that would be the mono fire aggro deck and then they'd get all of the cards for the mono fire aggro deck because they didn't apply to any other decks and so that deck would end up looking exactly the same every time anyone drafted the cube. One person would be mono fire, and their deck would be identical because they'd see basically all those cards. So if that's not how it that this one works, then there will be more variety in the decks, and that'll be neat. So I guess we'll move on to announcements. Yeah, let's do it. Is that what's, a... what's the matter? I don't know. I've been I've been crushing my uh, my segues, and I just I didn't have anything. I didn't have anything then. Ask me if I want to do the announcements now. Do you want to do the announcements? Yes. No, no, no. I mean, do we do, no, we here, want yeah. to do the announcements? Here, yeah. Hats, so do you have anything you'd like to say right now about announcing anything? Oh, no, well, uh, no, no, nothing in particular. No, I, I no. think you should do them. You don't think anyone <laughs> should check any, say, site out? There's no well, site people, that people should check out? People could check out uh, our, our Patreon at patreon.com slash farminginternal. That's where you can go if you wanted to su- support the show. Because uh, for as little as a dollar a month, you get access to our show notes and recording bloopers, uh, and you also nudge us towards our Patreon goals. So that would be a thing that I, I might mention if I were to do an announcement. Yeah. Uh, and I would also thank our, our our veteran patrons who have been supporting us uh, for for a, lo- a long time, some of them. Uh, Mercurio Blue, Abbott Nago, Meagles, Madness, Titus and Blossom, Parmalee, uh, Darth Herman 2, Twin Hex, Cassandrith. Jed the Homerid, Raven Dragon, S Rich 0215, Sunblaze worked on Sun and Yastout. I would thank them if I were going to make some announcements. Uh, gosh, I, I, I think that would be I think that would be what I would say. What would you say if you were going to do announcements? 
I would say that was that was great. So thank you all. We really appreciate all your support. That helped make this show possible. <laughs> I don't know why you would do that. But <laughs> we appreciate it. I don't I don't know what's going on with me today. I'm oh, I sorry. would cut that. I would cut that last bit. <laughs> the last thing you said for sure. <laughs> no, who doesn't love a little self-deprecating humor? I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, shall we go to card of the week? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so you have, a, I think, a pretty new card this week. I'm excited to hear your thoughts on this. Brand new card. No one's ever even seen it before. I want to talk about Disjunction. Have you seen this card? Disjunction is a, is a fast spell. It costs two time. Um, and uh, you can either... Uh, I, didn't, I didn't make a copy of it, though, so I would like to read it exactly what it says. Okay. <laughs> to put a little context to this, we were having a discussion before this podcast, uh, kind of a bet to, on whether we've mentioned disjunction in every episode or just most of the episodes. I have new thoughts. So disjunction says, <laughs> draw an attachment from your void or kill an enemy attachment that's what it does get what get an attachment back kill an enemy attachment and i know we've talked about it a lot but i feel differently about the card than the last time we talked about it plus the last time we talked about it was in the episode that was lost and we will never hear so my new thoughts on disjunction are that i would probably play as many of these as i can get in a deck uh that it does help a lot if i have anything at all to bring back from the void with a disjunction uh, so obviously the big things like Wormstone and uh, Waystone Gate, both of whom sacrifice uh, as part of their function, are great. Also Relic Weapons, which tend to die after you hit something with them. Um, but if you have any of those, like maybe three of those, I'll just play all of the Disjunctions. So because Disjunction essentially draws a card that you want to play because it's already in your deck or it interferes with your opponent's plans. And there are so many of my opponent's plans that could be solved with a disjunction, but nothing else. I've been running into Waystone Gate, a uh, Mysterious Waystone, rather, uh, a lot. And Mysterious Waystone is the card uh, that uh, is the Cursed Relic, where at the end of your turn, you lose one life, um, and your opponent gains one life. And then every time your opponent sacrifices a unit, those numbers go up. And so all they have to do is sacrifice like one or two units, and it's very hard to race the Mysterious Waystone. And basically nothing kills it except dedicated attachment removal, and that's Disjunction. So I feel so safe having two or three Disjunctions in any deck that can use both modes that I have started taking them a lot higher than I was even at the beginning of the format. Maybe that's just because people are playing more relics against me now, but also it kills curses, and every now and then killing a permafrost mid-combat so your permafrosted unit can block suddenly uh, is a game-winning play, too. It just You can do so many things now that relics are, um, are playable in the format that I've recontextualized it as a marginally playable card in certain decks that have Wormstone to a card that is essentially always playable if you're in time. Uh, that's probably exactly what I've said about it in previous episodes, except I'm more enthusiastic now. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, I think that's good. I would, I would agree. You've, you've added to our weekly discussion of disjunction, I think with the ongoing development of disjunction. (laughs) I like that because I think people get too stuck on 
I don't know what people get stuck on with, with this junction. Like the fact that it's like a soul drain smithing that also and a, and a ruin in one card mm-hmm. just seems and like people like soul drain smithing and people are like, yeah, I have this creation deck. I can bring back weapons with my soul drain smithing. Imagine if it didn't get plus one attack, but instead could kill any enemy attachment. Um, yeah. That seems like a pretty good card. It does. And it does it at fast speed, unlike Soul Drain Smithing. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of an immortalized for, for your weapons. Um, yeah, so I, I like that. I'm going to. I always try to play one. I'm excited to give multiples give multiples a try yeah and of course it won't feel good if nothing if your opponent is playing only units or whatever and you've got disjunctions in hand but i don't think i would just play a ton of disjunctions in a deck that couldn't ever get anything back from the void Um, yeah but like how many decks out there can't get anything back from the void yeah not very many that's certainly not in this format if you're in time you're fairly likely to get have at least a couple of things yeah so, yeah, yeah, if you're in time, if you're in fire, you're very right. likely to get justice. Uh, pretty much anything. Yeah. So yeah. I've I've played as many as three in a deck, and I think the deck with three was maybe one of my easiest seven wins in the format. And of course, it was set up so that it could use disjunction very well. But I used it to destroy my opponent's stuff plenty of times. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, my. My card of the week this week is Master's Blade, which is the three justice rare. It's a zero zero weapon with mastery seven, invoke justice, and then it give it gets plus one plus one for each battle skill the unit it's on has. Yes, and it has um, spellcraft one fall short, which. Uh, kills an enemy unit without any battle skills. One of the reasons I wanted to talk about this card is because this is one of the cards that was recently changed in the most recent balance patch, which was mostly constructed focus, but did hit a few cards. In particular, it hit Shardbinder, as well as Acclaimed Artisan, which Shardbinder got a buff, uh, which is a bit of a head-scratcher with draft in, in mind. Yeah, it's a 3-2 with Overwhelm for 2 now, even without any abilities, which is already pretty pretty great. Yes. And then Acclaimed Artisan got its Mastery knocked down from 4, or knocked up. It it got nerfed from Mastery 4 to Mastery 6. Yeah. Which, which I think is, still makes it a fine card, just not quite as backbreaking. I think that's that's pretty relevant for draft. Yeah, three attacks as opposed to two is pretty big. Yeah. I mean, it's still a two three for two, so it has still has a pretty good base rate. I would still play them. Yeah. I mean, you don't really see that many Oni decks running around, so you don't really see them very often. Um, but it's definitely worse, but I still think it's playable. Yeah, and there's still enough Onis in the format where artisan is artisan's abilities are relevant. Yeah, but it getting exalted so soon was sometimes kind of felt oppressive. So yes, I agree. Yeah. So, um, so I, I liked that change. Back to my card, which is Master's Blade. The change for Master's Blade is it went from plus one plus one to plus o plus o. Yeah. So it got nerfed a little bit, and 
I was wondering if you thought this had any effect on the card's playability because I think it was a pretty high pick um, previously. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it affects how high I take this card. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah. I, I Like, the value of this card in draft isn't really how much it makes the unit it's on. Like, that it, like if the unit has a couple of battle skills then it still gets the bonus for those. Um, and the main strength of this card is that it can cast a fall short and then often invoke. So that little buff that it gives to the unit really wasn't all that relevant. I would still take this above just about anything else in the format um, now that it's not, now that it doesn't have an inherent buff to the unit. Like, I'm pretty sure it's still just as good. Okay. Yeah, I was wondering if, you know, this hurt it, you know, because I do think a, a big part of its value is in the evoke, or in, in the evoke, which is a mastery trigger. Yeah. So, like, losing an attack can, you know, hurt in certain cases, you know. If you put it on a 3-3, three, three, it now takes three turns to trigger, well, a 3-3 three, three without any battle skills. It now takes three turns instead of two turns to trigger. So there are, you know, like cases like that which i do think hurt it but i feel like you know i don't know i guess yeah i do feel like it's lowered in my eyes i mean obviously it's lowered because it's nerfed but like not significantly but not insubstantially lowered because i do think is if without that invoke trigger i don't think this is like a particular it's not like a great card i'm really hoping to get to invoke it. Yeah, I mean, you're definitely hoping to invoke it. Uh, however, I think it's better. I mean, I, I've played, I would, I would, if, let's just say that if Master's Blade didn't say anything about invoke on it, if it just didn't have the mastery ability, I would still take it all the time over practically anything. <laughs> just because it kills 8 8 giants. And uh-huh. and it's one of the only things in the format that does that. But why would that be better than just fall short the card, which is probably not in the format? But so are you just thinking that fall short is a good card in this format? Yeah, that's basically it. Yeah. And then okay. also Master's Blade gives you uh gives gives units with battle skills a little bonus. Yeah, but uh, like say the invoke you know, is I mean, gravy on top because I don't always get to do that. It's obviously awesome if it happens. It's a huge threat. Um, but I really, I would, I would just take Master's Blade on site just because it has fall short on it, and then occasionally makes a flyer a little bigger. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. I don't know if I would take Master's Blade as high. Obviously, without invoke. Um, this is all, yeah. Very nebulous, but I don't know. Uh, I don't know I, what I'm saying. Math, no, it's fine. I, I mean, the invoke is great for sure. Uh, I just think this is a, a case of a card that has a lot of text on it, and so it's kind of hard to evaluate it um, as though it didn't have a, a, a number of those abilities. Uh, I, I mean, I maybe maybe I'm overstating it a little bit. I just think that there's so many good targets for fall short in this format that the fact that this thing does that and has a, sometimes abilities on top of that um, yeah. makes it incredibly valuable. Like all of the rare strangers, all of the ways to make 8-8 eight, eight giants, uh, there's quite a few um, 
there's quite a few threatening large things that can be killed by this. I don't know. It's just one of the best removal. It's one of the best options for removal because um, it's so hard to kill large units with one card in this format. Um, mm -hmm. and you've got Eviscerate and Death Strike. That's it. Uh, yeah. This is another way. It's certainly Invoke. I'm not saying that Invoke isn't a very powerful part of the card. It's a huge threat uh, to have, especially if the unit it's on has evasion or something like that. Uh, yeah. It's just... Uh, uh, maybe I wouldn't be saying this in another format where there where there weren't so many eight eight giants running around, but this is a this is a format where there are definitely a ton of eight eight giants. Yeah, no, I mean I, I think you, you probably wouldn't because you're sort of describing Master's Blade as an expensive fall short that you that you love. You know, this yes. hypothetical card without invoke is really just well, if you said like like if. You would take Avagraft over practically anything, right? Yes. So it's like Avagraft. Yes. Well, it's but right, but it's but that's what that's what's interesting to me though, is because it's it's closer to fall short in the sense that it is fall short, sure. and like I have just trouble saying it's like uh -huh. a, a this like to say I would take fall short over anything, but. That's what you're saying. So I think essentially, I think this yeah, is a good discussion. It's fall short with bonuses, you know. That's, that's what it is. It's fall short with benefits. Yes, uh, sometimes benefits. Sometimes, yeah, not always. Of course, it does have invoke. So it does. It, yeah. So it's even better than what I'm saying. But I, I do think the invoke will now be slightly harder to the mastery will be harder to trigger. So I, I don't know. I. I can't decide if I'm just overreacting by lowering it in my estimations or whether that's fully justified and I should. I mean, I guess what are you likely to actually put this on, I guess, is the question. Mm -hmm. And there, there's not very many things where you were going to put the Master's Blade when it was plus one, plus one, where it's going to make a huge difference. Like, let's say you put it on, let's say you put it on a flyer that has two power, and I can't think of one right now because I'm not sure there are any in this format. Um, but when it had plus one, uh, when when it had plus one plus one, that would make the flyer a four four, right? And then uh, it would achieve its mastery of seven in two hits. Whereas yeah. now it will take three. Except there aren't any flyers with two strength in this format. There's a couple, but like most of them have three strength or one strength. So yes. in that case, it's not really a big deal because the Master's Blade will still give it a plus one plus one for the flying, and your and your uh, and your three three brood of Aramot or uh, whatever the serpent is that costs three when you have a relic out, Akanta's Outrider yeah. or uh, things like that will still take the same number of attacks to get Invoke off of this. Yeah, the the one attack flyers will now take four turns instead of three turns. That's true. That's that's a difference, but also it's not as big a difference. Yeah, as two you're not. Three, yeah, because then you're like you got to get that thing in over and over again, which means you have some kind of uh, stable board state where you're attacking over and over with a small flyer. Yes. I just yeah. think practically it's not going to make a huge difference. The the nerf to it. Okay. Yeah. No. I I I I agree. I think a little bit. Yeah, you don't have to tell you. You don't have to agree with me. <laughs> we can disagree. Yeah, no. 
No matter uh, how forcefully I argue, you don't have to. You don't have to agree with me. <laughs> so now moving on to a seven win run breakdown. This is uh-huh. our long-standing data collection project here at Farming Eternal, where our listeners send in their seven-win drafts to farmingeternal@gmail.com, or post them in the seven-win channel with Farming Eternal Discord, either an exported deck list or any t- kind of Eternal Warcry link, and then we kind of break down what we're seeing. So, so as always, thank you to John Holio for entering the list and for everyone who sent in lists this week. So we have a new contributor in Satan Claus who has been tearing up the high high masters draft rank draft queues. So thank you for Thanks. sending in a deck list. That's as awesome. well as our veteran contributors, Abinego, Alabazoo, Beard Broken, Darth Herman 2, Fast Cookie, Gato Sujo, Iris M, John, Johnny D. Lull, Cassandrith. Max and Scam, Meagles, Mercurio Blue, Patomaru, Tempest Dragon King, Titus and Blossom, Vader, and Yes Stout. Um, and uh, we usually kind of talk about what's been happening in the format. It's still kind of the same. Interestingly, I think um, in the in the balance patch, uh, Direwolf did mention that they were happy with the draft format balance balances um and said that like even the changes that we mentioned that did affect draft were not sort of intended for draft and um currently at least in our deck lists the format's the most balanced it has been um time is now down to 63 percent which is a, a much more reasonable percentage than it's mid to high 70s that it's been in a couple of these uh iterations of the of the Echoes of Eternity format. Um, Primal, Shadow, and Fire are all above 40%, and Justice is hovering right right below it, but close. So, so that's okay. good. We're, I think we're in a much more balanced, at, worst, at least the deck lists we're receiving are a much more balanced array than they've been. That's good. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's due to the changes that... Um... I don't know if it's as much due to the changes as di- that Direwolf made as people are sort of figuring out where the strengths of the other factions lie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could be a little bit of both. Yeah, I mean, because the, cha- the, the changes that would have affected this the most are when they kind of added a bunch of bad time cards into the draft packs. Yeah. You know, and so we were wondering whether that would lower time's representation and kind of thinking it wouldn't. Um and times representation has lowered, so it is. You know, you we can't really tell whether it's because why that is. If, like you say, it's people are figuring out different things that work, or whether you know, Direwolf did manage to just make the draft pack so bad for time that people are forced to do other stuff. Yeah, or less likely to go in hard on time in the first pack or something. Yeah, or time is finally just like being overdrafted and then that's affecting sure how much time people are seeing. Yeah, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm still seeing like Humbug Nests go bit, like last pick in both pack one and four though, so it's a little, I'm not sure it's overdrafted. Yeah, though, I don't know. Like part of me, you know, uh, Collector kind of mentioned this last week, and I kind of hinted at it in how my week was going. 
but I just find fixing a lot harder to come by. So like for me, cards like Humbug Nest are really lower, have lowered because I'm just like not sure I'm going to be able to like as easily splash the time. Sure, sure. Like I'm yeah. actively looking for interlopers and just can never find them anymore. I just, I don't know if this is I'm just like a pocket of variance in the packs that I'm opening, but like, I don't know the last time I've been able to like, draft an interloper to help my influence and i'm having a lot i'm seeing a lot fewer strangers and so i'm really relying on getting lucky with like tokens and stuff and and that's for feels sort of like a bad place to be because still a lot of the power in the set is in the echo of eternities packs so you don't really want to be wasting quote-unquote wasting picks in your pack one and four on tokens that you might not even be like fully on color for and passing up really good cards. And then you get like screwed in packs two and three with not very good cards. I don't know. Yeah, it's a tough balance. Um, I've started to think that I'm going to start taking tokens a little higher. I haven't started doing it yet because I don't usually like them, but precisely because of what you're talking about where the influence doesn't always get there. um, I'd like to have options because you can end up with a lot of strong cards in your deck um, as long as you're able to play three or four factions. And it's really hard to set up to be able to do that unless you start taking tokens at some point. So uh, I might I might experiment with that a little bit. Uh, I don't know. I'm not exactly sure what the solution is. But as I've said, my, this last week, uh, I haven't been able to figure anything out. So... Um, uh, so I don't have a successful approach to the current format right now. Me neither. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we but, can still speak with some authority about what rares are good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Speaking of which, like I kind of mentioned in the introduction, we thought we'd run this back, um, our episode 54 format, with, um, except talking about rares, comparing them to uncommons. We first wanted to kind of talk about our uncommons, and we kind of broken them up into three tiers that we really wanted to kind of and highlight. Are, and these are the set eight uh, uncommons from Echoes of Eternity, correct? Yes, they are. And we're, once again, kind of talking in the context of what you're doing early in pack one. We kind of agree, and I think this is well known. You know, there's like a top tier of Waystone Gate in the Heeds Distillation, which are sort of far and above the best uncommons in echoes of eternity is that you i mean yeah they're they're definitely among them i i i don't feel totally comfortable just ranking them at the very top all the time they're very good like if we're going to talk about the top five then yeah nahid's distillation and waystone gate are there and so if it's your pack one or, or pick one pick two pick three you're probably picking these over the other uncommons so, so that's that's what I'm referring to. Like I can see taking a wind conjuring over a waystone gate. I still I still can see that happening. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know. I mean, I could see it happening too. I guess what's always confusing to me is because like what I find interesting about these discussions is like when you're talking pack one, pick one, right? There should theoretically just be a right answer. You know, I don't even know if there's like a right answer universally but like for an individual drafter because they're you know play style and preferences do play a part but like taking that sort of out of the equation like do you pick when you see the two cards 
up against each other, pack one, pick one, you know, you either you have to take away Stonegate or Wind Conjuring. That's true. And well, I guess I would take away Stonegate then. I mean, I guess we, we yeah, maybe maybe it, maybe it wasn't worth equivocating on this because I, I would probably take away Stonegate over any other uncommon. Now that I'm looking at the other uncommons, I have a list of the ten top ten here, and I guess I would have to take Waystone Gate over all of the others, even though there's stuff like Aramot's Machinations and Sorcerer's Wand. There, Waystone Gate is always good, and Time is still the best faction. So, if I'm speaking strictly from an I want to win games perspective, Gate is 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 right at the top. Yes, and I think this sort of touches on what we were talking about. The thing that makes waste one of the things that makes Waystone Gate so good is there are a lot of powerful cards in Echoes of Eternity, and Waystone Gate is both a strong card in and of itself and helps you play the rest of your strong cards. It does. Um, um, and as I've probably mentioned before, it is it essentially says draw four cards um, for a total of twelve power, uh, but also you can break it up over several turns and then 12 of that power gets funneled into a free 8-8 at one point. So it's not a huge expenditure. Because um, you're... It, it, it's not just that it draws four cards. It draws three um, draws three sigils of any, of any color that you want and plays an 8-8. So that's four cards. Uh, it keeps you from drawing those three sigils from your deck it plays the eight eight way sooner than you would have been uh, than you would have been able to otherwise if you devote all of your power to the um, waystone gate for a couple of turns, um, and also you can get it back with the, with the aforementioned disjunction or turn back time and then draw another four cards off of it. So it's a very slow but insanely powerful card. And uh, I guess you can't really say the same thing for any of the other uncommons, which are all good in their own ways, but they, none of them draw four cards. Sorcerer's Wand draws four cards. I guess mm-hmm. that would be the other one that's close, but it's three colors. It doesn't fix your power, um, and it's even slower than Waystone Gate. Yeah, and Victor's yeah. Feast is the other card that draws you three cards, and yeah. it has a lot of similarities to Waystone Gate, it does. but it doesn't... Draw you all sigils and fix your colors. No, the two of the cards it draws have a minor effect on the game. One is a zero one jump blocker uh, or sacrifice fodder, and one of them increases your power for one turn. The other two cards are great. Uh, they draw a card. They they they. It's a treasure trove that draws a card for two, and then another eight eight. Yeah, so they're very similar cards. Just wasting it is better. So, like I was trying to say. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think we do. We have like Waystone Gate in a tier of its own, and then <laughs> that was a joke. I, <laughs> Hats feels attacked by that comment. Right. <laughs> That's fine. I'll be I'll be doing the rest of this uh, episode from inside a huge turtle shell <laughs> that I'm um, hiding within. But actually, that did bring up a good clarification because I I put Nahid's distillation with Waystone Gate, but I'm happy to put Nahid's distillation in in this tier two with Wind Conjuring, Aramot's Machinations, and Sorcerer's Wand. Yeah, they all they the all of them provide um, card advantage. Wind Conjuring mm-hmm. less so, but it, it Wind Conjuring gives you a lot of tempo. It, it just not quite as much as Gate. 
Um, so yeah. Yeah. So originally we were going to, uh, uh, what we did two episodes ago was say, well, rectifier is probably the best common. Uh, what uncommons would we take pack one, pick one over rectifier? So we were going to do the same thing with waystone gate. What rares in this uh, set would you take over a pack one, pick one waystone gate? But uh, my thought was that waystone gate is a little bit too good. And so it's a little hard to pick a meaningful list of rares um, that are better than waystone gate. And also, uh, even though we've just had this conversation now, and I'm more sure that Waystone Gate is the best on common, uh, it feels maybe like Waystone Gate is a little bit of an unknown quantity in a way, because there's never really been another card quite like it. And so I propose that we instead uh, compare the rares to Seer, which is still a very good on common. It's in our top 10, but it's a very known quantity. It does exactly what it says on the card. Seer is a two fire fast spell that does three damage to any enemy uh just a good standard great removal spell and uh something that you're always kind of excited to see and is always in contention to be taken when you see it in a pack um and you know exactly how good it is it goes to the face it's efficient removal uh which rares would you take over seer and i think that's a more interesting list so shall we begin yeah once again like last week we we did have some disagreement and a lot of overlap once again hats was like a little bit more optimistic about cards playabilities over seer but um so he has a bigger list that's what I i'm do. trying to say yeah. um but we'll go through them all okay so to start out with uh hats has blazing salvo i do over yeah seer. blazing salvo is the one fire fast spell due to you do to uh, deal two damage to a unit, uh, and then you can swap a card in your hand with a two-cost card in your market. Uh, it's it's similar to Seer. Uh, it's 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 one power for two damage instead of uh, two damage for three. But I think there's enough things that Blazing Salvo kills, and I like that you can uh, that you can create a market and put some of your your fri- uh, <clears throat> and put some of your fringe playable cards in there um i think it makes it a much more versatile card than seer so i'm always pretty excited to see a blazing salvo yeah the reason i don't have it in here is i just feel like the two cost cards there's just a lot fewer fringe two cost cards i feel like in draft you know like you're playing more or less all of the two drops units that you draw that you draft that are in your colors and then, like, what what are you really getting out, out that's a two-cost, you know, I don't know. And mm-hmm. and then also, I still have that lesson from either set five or set six with when Char was new, where I thought Char would be a lot better than it was, but instead the three-fire deal-three damage scout burn spell ended up being much better than Char in that format, and I, I still feel like... I would rather do three than two, even if it it costs one more. And even with this marketability, you know, it's obviously nice with Blazing Salvo to be able to market um, a power or a useless card away later on in the game. But I just, I don't know. I guess I haven't ended many drafts thinking, oh, I have a good two-cost card that I wish I could market for very often. Sure. Uh, that's fair. I mean, that's 
I can't I can't entirely disagree with that. I still would um uh I think the power of being able to trade away a trade away a sigil for an actual card is enough. I if uh, I don't have a list of all of the two cost cards that you might not want to play main deck here. Um but sometimes if I'm splashing a color and I want to reduce the pressure on like my influence base. Mm-hmm. And I do happen to have a market available to me for some reason, which obviously doesn't happen that often. But if I do, uh, then I can stick some of the splash cards in the market. Uh, so like they'd be like the fringe stuff. I, I guess bring down is too powerful to not uh, put in your main deck. But maybe if you have uh, maybe if you have like a big unit or something that you don't want to put in your main deck, it's in your splash colors. But I guess that doesn't count here because we're talking about two cost cards. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I would have to actually look at a list of cards to come up with examples. Yeah, sort of taking it on faith that I there would be something. <laughs> Disjunction, but you'd play all of those in your main. I would. Deck. Uh, those would all be main deck. Yeah, there's no way. Uh, but if it was something like unmake, then I would put it in the. I might put it in my sideboard, and that mm-hmm. would be a great sideboard card. Um, yeah. Uh, or. Uh, um, like maybe uh, I what, what's the what's the card that kills a single attra- attacking creature? Isolate. Yeah. Anyway, so there are definitely two cost cards that you might. I just I, for me, yeah. I'm just I'm just not as excited about it. I don't know if that's right or wrong. You, the listener, have to decide. Yeah. Um, the choice okay. lies with you. <laughs> Next, uh, we both agree. Uh, Kazuo Melee Virtuoso. That is the one fire two one. Mm-hmm. Oni, when you play a relic weapon, play a plus one attack weapon with overwhelm on Kazuo. Ultimate pay for to invoke. Yeah. And I think we can probably agree that the invoke is kind of the big deal here. Yes. I actually just played this in a deck that was splashing my. It was a heavy fire splash, but fire was definitely my splash color. And I still played Kazuo just as of a uh, cheap way to invoke a card. Yeah. And yep, it's, uh, the best, it's the best card from the three random choices. Uh, so it's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but it's obviously better in a deck where you also want to be playing two one for one. Um, Cause it is a very aggressive little card. And uh, the fact that it can get overwhelmed uh, when you play relic weapons is, is good if you're looking to do damage. Uh, it's just sort of a card that stays relevant. It's an aggressive card that's uh, relevant later because the invoke um, usually gets you something that you need. So, yeah, great little card. Yep. And this is right on the card, but I'm always surprised when it happens. Uh, the the relic weapon, um, the plus one weapon, when you play a relic weapon, that's not an ultimate. So it keeps growing if you yeah. play multiple relic weapons. Yeah, it sure does. Which is sometimes relevant yeah you just if it, if you're in a board stall you can sort of keep making Kazuo a little bit bigger until he can attack finally again yeah all right then next this is a card that i have that has doesn't and it is hammer of unity mm-hmm. which is the two comrade plus two plus oh weapon that says the wielder is invulnerable to damage on your turn your units that share a type with the wielder cost one less yeah this might just be a, this is sort of maybe just a pet card of mine. I kind of have had 
a few decks in this format where I've had success with these an aggressive Combray deck, and this weapon goes really well in those kind of decks. It doesn't. This deck doesn't always come together, so this is a bit speculative and maybe is more of a preference pick than an objective. This is better than Seer pick, but I have had a bunch of luck with this Hammer of Unity, and it's just really hard to deal with um, if your opponent doesn't have Silence, which is sometimes a big ask. But if they don't, you know, you just can keep attacking in with your unit. Yeah, I think it's kind of a high-risk card because it is uh it doesn't make what if if the unit does get silenced and there are a lot of silence effects in this format, uh then then uh your unit isn't any better at surviving combat because this is plus 2 plus 0 weapon. Uh so I guess maybe I haven't had the aggressive combray deck so I don't exactly um, I just haven't had the experience, the direct experience of it being good. I haven't had it played against me a couple of times, and it is annoying trying to stop the thing. Um, it's hard to block it because it has plus two attack, and maybe you don't have something with a big enough butt to get in its way, for sure. Uh, but I haven't, I don't remember ever seeing Hammer of Unity and going, uh-oh, I've, I have lost this game. Uh, yes. <laughs> usually I'm able to deal with it somehow. Yes. No, it, that's definitely true. But I do think it can win the game, which for is sure. why, um, you know, if we're talking early in a pack, you know, we're, we're comparing this to Seer, you know, so I think the fact that Hammer of Unity can win a game is is why I like it, the card. Fair enough. Um, which is kind of in uh, a contrast to your number two, which is uh, Toda Pioneer. Yeah. Um, which is the two fire one two um, totemite explorer when you draw your second card in a turn you get plus two power this turn pay four to give one of your other units plus four and overwhelm this turn yeah uh yeah i i like this card a lot um i uh, in 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 contrast to what i just said about uh when i see my opponent play um uh uh, hammer of unity when i see my opponent play tota pioneer i know i'm in trouble <laughs> i know it's just going to be an insane headache for the entire game unless i can kill it uh because it can give any unit plus four attack and overwhelm at any time which means every podunk little like stranger that provided influence or uh you know unfamiliar interloper which is the same thing uh except often doesn't get to attack because it's a 1-2, but now it's a 5-2 with Overwhelm for a turn, and then it's a Shadow, and then it gets to do it again if I kill it. Uh, it's it's There's a lot of power investment with Tota Pioneer, but it's a little bit... I think the closest thing uh, to it would be uh, Steel Fang Chakram, I think it's called, which mm-hmm. is the plus 4, plus 0 weapon that uh, that comes back from the Void whenever the the unit it's on gets killed. And then you get to put it on another thing. Tota Pioneer is like that, um, and and Steel Fang Chakram is insane in draft. Yes, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, the in contrast was it's kind of funny because I think we were just going to switch our positions, um, which is true. Where when I see this card, I think, well, yeah, the, this can kill me, but it's like a dinky unit. It's going to take them a while to get it online, you know, like. Mm-hmm because it is a lot of power investment and I have a lot of time. So I have 
a lot of time to kill it and it's easy to kill. So yeah. I'm never that worried when I see a Tota Pioneer, even though it is a card sort of like Hammer of Unity that can end a game, a cheap card that can end the game. So I should probably like it just as much as Hammer of Unity, but I have the opposite reaction that you do. Yeah. The, I think it's uh, it, it has the problem that uh, that cards like um, what is the card? It's a two three for three that gives all of your dragons plus one plus one and life steal. What is that card called again? Vile collaborator. Yeah, vile collaborator. It's got the vile collaborator problem where if you have removal, then you have your choice between like killing the the enabler, the Tota pioneer, or the vile collaborator, or the thing that's actually killing you. But you don't, you can't kill both because you have one removal spell. But you have to kill both because the either one can kill you. Uh, so you have to spend like a removal spell on the Tota Pioneer so that all of their other threats can't kill you. But then all of those other threats are still there. So mm -hmm. if it's some like humbug or something in the air, uh, it's still there, and now you have to still deal with that problem. But you absolutely had to deal with the Tota Pioneer, or else all of all of the other units. Uh, are capable of murdering you, so uh, it feels like to it feels like uh, it it starts overwhelming your removal, as opposed to <laughs> Hammer of Unity, where you just need one removal spell or or one silence, and then you've dealt with the whole problem. If that makes any sense, it's it, Hammer of Unity presents a lot more immediate danger, but can be dealt with with one card. So it, there's the threat of card disadvantage if you play a Hammer of Unity. Whereas Tota Pioneer has no threat of card disadvantage because uh, your opponent still has to deal with all of the stuff that you're presenting them. They have to deal with the Pioneer eventually with some with one of their resources. Yes. And still deal with all of your other stuff. No, I... I, I... So it's slower. No question, it's a slower threat. But I think stronger overall. I think it's also a preference thing for sure. I mean, Hammer of Unity, Hammer, just putting Hammer of Unity on something that your opponent didn't think they were going to be able to block, and then like now you can't block it, haha, is definitely a huge tempo swing, and and uh, and and sometimes works to win the entire game. So uh, there's nothing wrong with the card. I'm just saying, like my. Uh, you know, I rate things by how afraid I am of them when my opponent plays them mostly. <laughs> yes. So that's where I'm at with it. No, I, I agree. Um, okay. Uh, next is uh, Jade Horn, which you have on the list, and I don't, which is the three justice justice, three, three. War Cry Pledge. Summon, you gain three armor, and your avatar can attack an additional time this turn. Corrupted six. Yeah, I think I I think I rate this card a lot higher than other people because I often see it going third, fourth, fifth pick, and uh, I don't I think it's stronger than that. the The big long text where your avatar can attack twice rarely comes up. Uh, that's not really a major relevant part of the card. Gaining three armor when it comes into play is already pretty good. But just a 3-3 three, three with Warcry and Pledge is already uh, a great card. And the fact that it has Corrupted and will stick around for a few turns after it gets killed the first time makes it even better. So, like, if you took away any of this thing's four abilities, then I think it would still be a good card. But it does have all four abilities. So all, all together, it's awesome. Uh, I like playing things with Pledge because it makes so many more opening hands playable. 
and I am not shy about uh, pledging rares, and if if it'll make the rest of my hand function. So yeah, especially like, when they're like, yeah. not even as good as a seer. Sure, <laughs> uh, if they're not, yeah. But I do think this is better than seer. I think Jade Horn is 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 an awesome little card. A three three that gained three armor by itself already pretty good. Already a little bit above rate. Um, the fact that it has Warcry and Pledge as well, pretty good. I don't know. Yeah. I just I just like it. Maybe it's a little bit of a pet card of mine. Um, but uh, gaining three armor, if you have any relic weapons at all, is it is very very relevant. Yes. No. I I think Jade Horn is a really good card. I would. For me, this would be a close pick, and I think I would just pick Seer as the more flexible removal card. As compared to Jade Horn, while a good card, it's not that much better than a three-three. <laughs> um, yeah, which is a which is a good card. I mean, you know, it's that's the thing is it's a good card, but I don't think it's doing it's enough above rate where I wouldn't rather just have the removal spell. Mm-hmm. That's fair enough. Um, but I'm always happy to pick these up third or fourth, second, third or fourth pick in a pack because people do really undervalue this card. Yeah. I think All that's right. Fair. Next is I have a Strange Navigator. We have very different lists. Uh, next, I have Strange <laughs> Navigator, which is the two Xenon 3 2. When, you play, when a player plays a stranger, each unit in their void gets plus one, plus one. Pay nine and exhaust Strange Navigator to draw five units from your void. Um, and I have this one in here. It's kind of, for most of the game, it's just a two power three two. But it's a card that can win a game on its own if you ever get to nine power. It does have that threat. For sure, it wins the game when you get to nine. And the reason I don't have it as high as some of the other strange, uh, some of the other um, rare strangers is because it, it, nine is a lot. That's really the only thing. It's, and it's just made, and, and giving plus one, plus one to everything in the void isn't quite as good as the other uh, rare strangers' abilities when they come into play. So it would be, a, it's close for me. I'm always happy to pick up a Strange Navigator if I'm in Xenon because it does give you that inevitability. But I think its raw power level is a little lower than the others, so that's why I don't have it on the list. Yeah, I guess the other thing that I like about this card is it's also... It's a very cheap removal magnet because the threat of it is so strong, even no matter how hard it is to get to nine, people have to respect it. And I think that's, you know, that I think that just for for a cheap card, that's like just bonus value. Yeah, it's definitely a good card for sure. All right. Uh, Then next I have High Sky Lookout, which is the three primal primal three three um, Yeti with reckless summon. If you have a unit with flying invoke primal corrupted three. Um. This is kind of a weird card, and it's a little hard to evaluate. Reckless, not a great ability to have on your 3-power 3-3. Three three. Um, An entirely negative ability. <laughs> yes. But, but this is one of the few Invoke cards that 
if you trigger because it's you can trigger it twice. So this card be, can turn into two new cards. Yes. And I, for for me, that makes it a card worth trying to build around. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I used to feel that way about the card. And now I've had so many experiences picking it up early where I wasn't able to put a Flyers deck together that I've now come down on it a little bit. Yes. And I kind of put this on tentatively with that in mind that it has felt since the beginning of this format, the Elysian Flyer deck has gotten harder and harder to draft. And that has made a card like this worse and worse. Um, but there are still a good number of flyers, so I think you can make it work. Work, and you probably had more experience with the card than I have, so I would probably defer to your opinion. But when I have played this card, it has done a lot of work for me. So oh yeah, it's awesome when it works. Yeah. All right. Then next is Master's Blade, which is the card we mentioned in my card of the weeks which is the three justice zero zero weapon plus one for each of the wielders battle skills spellcraft one play fall short mastery seven invoke justice so yeah like you said full short is the best card in the format um and so it's better than <laughs> seer <laughs> there you go <laughs> Master's Blade kills practically everything on this list. <laughs> yes. Uh, does it? Well, a lot of... It kills all the... Not Jade Horn. Yeah. No, it doesn't kill Jade Horn. Jade Horn has immunity to Master's Blade. Yeah. And also has gets plus one, plus one off of it, if you happen to have both of them. Uh, I've had... Ma I just wanted to briefly mention Master's Blade is a thing that you can go get with Blade Crafter, which just makes it even more ridiculous. It makes it yeah. better than Fall Short because you can tutor it out of your deck. <laughs> it's crazy. Yes. Yeah, I always forget about Blade Crafter's hidden text of getting just regular weapons. Yeah, no, I know it feels like it shouldn't be able to, but it can totally go get a Master's Blade. Yeah. Like if I have a Master's Blade, let's say I first picked it, Blade Crafter is another Master's Blade from then on. You know, like, that's a second copy of Master's Blade, it's, which is uh, amazing. Yeah. Next is Shrine to Carve It, which is the three Stone Scar uh, Relic. Your units get plus two attack, charge, and lifesteal if you have sacrificed the unit this turn. Yeah. When we both put this on our list, uh, didn't we? No, I actually didn't put it on my list. Oh, okay. Well, I'm is... not entirely sure that I should have it on the list, so... You could pr probably pretty easily convince me not that it shouldn't be there. No, I I was hoping you'd convince me to put it on my list because um, oh, this sorry, is obviously a very powerful card. But um, you know, we had talked offline about how you sort of group the the rares into like little categories of like what you what were your four categories? My my four categories loosely are uh, rares that I'm excited to see. Uh, rares that I'm excited to see uh, if I'm in the right deck for them. Uh, rares that are sort of worth taking a chance on, and then rares that are usually useless. Uh, there's probably I'm probably missing something there, but uh, I I was 
I would say Shrine to Carvet probably should go in that second category. It's not as consistent a card. Like, you're always going to play Seer in every single fire deck, but maybe Shrine to Carvet doesn't always get there if you don't have enough sacrifice things. So I think it's fair to say that it's not something that I'm always excited to see. However, the ceiling on Shrine to Carvet is so high if you can make it work. Yes. Yeah, and I think having Shrine to Carvet on your list is totally fair. You know, this is a thing you've talked about. You play a lot of draft. You like exploring the rares and trying new decks. And Shrine to Carvet does have the power level to be that. I think if we're just talking about, like, if, <laughs> you know, there was a draft championship and, you know, these top, these top eight matches were on the line or whatever, you'd probably take Seer because Seer is the card that would make every deck as compared to Shrine to Carve It, where you're, like, you, there's a chance you're not playing Shrine to Carve It. Yeah, probably. It's a tough question, but yeah. Yeah, and, and I'm, and this is a thing that is always true about me, is that my competitive edge ends at the point where I get bored and want to play with cards that I don't normally get to play with. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, that's that's a real part of my draft strategy, is, is to play with... Uh, is to play with potentially powerful cards, try to make them work, and sometimes lose because I'm doing that. So uh, I guess if it's in a in a championship or something, yeah, probably takes Seer, but I I'm, I would hope to not have to make that choice. <laughs> I hope to never be in an Eternal Draft Championship. Yeah, that's really what I don't want is to ever do. I, n- I never want there to be any stakes. Um, all right i'm emotionally fragile enough all right what are we doing what's the next card on the list next is strange ally once again you have this on your list that is the three argent port two two soldier stranger when a player plays the stranger they play a minus one minus one curse on a non-stranger enemy unit pay two and exhaust strange ally to give one of your units a random battle skill yeah uh yeah i i think this is entirely justifiable it's um i think it's just a strong a very very strong card all by itself all of the rare strangers do have the caveat that if your opponent happens to be playing more strangers than you then you you kind of suffer and that's definitely true for strange ally too however the Giving repeatedly being able to give one of your units a random battle skill is a great way to break board stalls because eventually you're going to get some sort of an evasion. Um, and sometimes you get like exalted. Like there's a lot of things that can just break the game. Um, and it, unlike a card like the 1 3 Justice Stranger that has to attack to get that ability, and then. Um, and then maybe you don't draw the unit for a couple of turns. Strange Ally just does it over and over and over again. Uh, so yeah, I like it. And then and then there are enough things that only have one one um, health in the game that this can outright kill. Uh, it doesn't look so great if your opponent's board is made up of only strangers. Uh, that's the that's the case where it doesn't. But I do think it's a super powerful card, and I've had good experiences with it. Yeah, I this is once again a card that's close for me. I. It's a little bit fragile, and while its ability is strong and fun, the making random battle skills, and will win you a game eventually, it's like a little bit slow, which is is why I put it a little bit lower than Strange Navigator, which is 
obviously slow, but will like definitely win you the game. While I don't know, this is a smaller body. You know, this one is only a, a three power two two. Um, so like the whole package together um, just makes it slightly below the cut for me. I like to think of it kind of as a three power uh, as a three three for three because the the minus one minus one sort of counts for the total stats on the board. Yeah, you know? it triggers it triggers on it on itself entering, so you always get the minus one minus one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's no, not, that's a that's a good way to look at it. Um, yeah, and yeah, and and then occasionally it's better than that because because there's that sort of like. There's like that threshold, like you're reducing the amount of you're reducing the amount of uh, like strength on your opponent's side of the board, but occasionally it's something like Inferno Zealot that, and then you're reducing your opponent's strength by a massive amount just because you happen to have this card. Uh, there's a there's a few ways to do one damage in this format. This is one of the few that actually leaves a body behind that that has an ability. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're, we're we're not disagreeing about whether or not it's a good card, just how good it is. Yes, exactly. Um... All right, next is Strange Broker. Once again, you have this on your list, is, and this is the three Felm 2-4 Rogue Stranger. When a player plays a stranger, their enemy discards the top four cards of their deck, pay seven and exhaust Strange Broker to play Permafrost on a non-stranger unit. Yeah. Uh, this one I feel more strongly about. I think this is a straight-up bomb. I've been, I've been wrecked completely by this card so many times that I can't afford to not take it very, very seriously. And it's not, it's not the, the discard ability that's strong here. Um, it's unlikely that you're going to have this in an actual mill deck and mill someone out with it. The fact that it does a, that it's a pretty good body for the cost, like it's a 2-4 for 3, fine, mm-hmm. you know, about what you want for 3. Um, but being able to, but having repeatable removal uh, is is great, because once you get to, the, I mean, clearly Strange Navigator has the same thing, but 9 is a long way from 7 in a draft game. Uh, you, when you If you get to 7 and you start losing units because you haven't been able to remove your opponent's Strange Broker, you're probably going to lose that game. There are ways to counter Permafrost, uh, including, you know, Siege Provisions and Oh gosh, uh, uh, wind conjuring. Except it only does it for one turn, uh, and a few other ways. But um, repeatable permafrost is a very, 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 very strong. Yeah, toy. Yeah, I've had sort of mixed results with this card a little bit. The because it seems so great on purpose or on sorry on paper where you could get the repeat permafrost. But the pay seven and the fact that you have to exhaust this just like sometimes makes it too slow, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it doesn't win the game by itself. It just kind of hangs around on the board. You're playing other cards. Maybe it has to block a couple of times. Um, it, it, you do have, you, like, it's not going to stabilize the ga- a game that you're way behind in. Yeah. Uh, it is a, it's a, it's a card that gives you. Uh, sort of inevitability um, if neither player can tempo the other one out. But it is also a good defensive card by itself. You know, like a 2-4 for 3 is a good card to play if you don't want to get overrun in the early game, and I don't mind blocking with this. Yeah. No, I agree. I guess part of it is just it's so bad against Siege Provisions. That's true. Um. That's, That's definitely true. 
Um, but yeah, no, I, I th- again uh, disagree uh, on the board. Uh, uh, you know, on the edges, but I think it is a, a good card, and you obviously like it a lot. So people should take it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see how it treats um, you. All right, then finally, a card we agree on that is strange. Finally. <laughs> Strange Duelist, the um, three Cambrai three two, that says when you play a stranger, they gain one. You gain when a player plays a stranger, they gain one health and one armor. Pay four and exhaust Strange Duelist to silence a non-stranger unit. Yeah, and this is that that repeatable silence is really the big deal here. Yes. Yeah. Again, this card is not quite as good as I thought it was initially, but I just think even still you have to re- re- respect the repeatable silence you yeah. know the fact that unlike bizarre trickster you can't silence you have to exhaust this to silence i think is a negative mm-hmm. but i don't know if if you don't get there with the rectifiers and stuff and you do have a strange duelist i mean you're definitely playing the strange duelist and it'll save your butt sometimes yeah i would rather have a bizarre trickster isn't that a two power thing Three two or am I? It's crazy? a two power two three. I it's mean, a two I don't power think it's two in the three format, but no, no, it isn't. Uh, but you know, if it were, then I would take that over this just because it's repeatable and you don't have to exhaust it to use its ability. Yes. However, this is still pretty good. Yes, exactly. So also, I, I... it has it has the least downside if your opponent happens to have a bunch of strangers. All they do is gain some life and armor uh, rather than like wreck your face. <laughs> Which which happens with some of the other rares that we're going to be talking about soon. Yes. All right, so then next is Strange Gladiator. This is the 3 Praxis 3-3. Three, three. When you play a stranger, units and weapons in the player's hand get plus one, plus one, and then pay for and exhaust Strange Gladiator to kill an enemy relic. Yeah. So clearly a very powerful card. Yes. And if you know anything about this show, it's that we like to destroy other people's relics. We do. Um, this is like a disjunction, but also it does other things? Yeah. yeah. Who knew that was even possible? I don't know how they could improve on disjunction, but here's this fella. It blanks some of the best cards in the format, and it's a repeatable way to buff your hand. Yes. Uh, and then the one downside is that I have had this in a deck before and then had my opponent just play stranger after stranger <laughs> and that, that that so it can backfire to some degree but uh, uh, part of putting any of these rare strangers in your deck is is that you look to have other strangers so that you can activate them more than once and uh, even more so uh, because the bonus when you play a stranger is so good with this card mm-hmm all right, then uh, next is Strange Sorcerer, which is the three Elysian 2-3. When you play a stranger, they replenish one power, pay four, and exhaust Strange Sorcerer to draw a card for each of your units with flying. This one is probably the most borderline for me of the ones that I put on the list, uh, just because it is a little bit tricky. I mean, it's a slow way to draw cards, and then maybe you don't have any still alive units with flying <laughs> and then it doesn't do anything yes yeah yeah it's interesting that i put this one on my list too uh yeah i was thinking you can just draw so many cards <laughs> yeah you can't 
But we did talk about how it does seem like the Elysian Flyers deck is a little harder to get into. So it's like it's like gone down in value a little bit. But I don't know. The upside, the ceiling is just so high that I I had to keep it on my list. I had to keep the dream alive. Yeah, we're keeping the dream alive. All right. Then you have Unseen Longbow, which is the three Shadow Shadow um, plus three plus O weapon with Quick Draw and Pledge. When the wielder hits the enemy player, they lose their remaining power, and you get that much power this turn. Spellcraft three, play Hold Up. Yeah, um, I struggled a little bit with whether to put this on the list or not, and then decided that it is, in fact, that powerful. So Longbow has the advantage of essentially making a unit impossible to kill when it's attacking, um, because giving it plus three attack and quick draw, that's great. Uh, it's very hard to block a thing with that. But plus that, I don't know that's plus like... Plus O in invulnerability is easy to kill, and then it's, plus three no, 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 plus no, it's, quick draw I'm not saying I'm not saying it's any harder to kill. To kill. I've said that it's harder to block. I, no, not at all. I said it's very it's it's hard to block and kill with units. It's it's <laughs> no hypocrisy at all. It's similar to hammer hammer not hammer of unity. Uh, is that hammer of unity? Hammer of I guess unity. it's hammer of unity. It's similar to hammer of unity that way because it makes a single unit basically impossible to block and kill in combat. Um, however, it also has uh, the hold up ability which uh, makes your opponent discard two cards when you reach six, which is very, very good. It's one of the only ways in this format to make your opponent discard so no one plays around it. And, I mean, I play around it all the time if my opponent is playing Shadow just because I don't want to get randomly wrecked by Longbow. Uh, but I don't think... Uh, I don't know if that's correct. Anyway, uh, that's a powerful ability. Um, you don't have to use it if you just want to make a very aggressive thing. It also has pledge, so that so you can uh, you have that option. It's just an extremely versatile card. Uh, I don't know how strong it is exactly. I just know that it's very hard to deal with uh, anything that has a longbow on it, and you can't immediately deal with. Um, so it's like Hammer of Unity, like in that way, but it also does a bunch of other stuff. So it's like Hammer of Unity plus many things. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I actually I should just put this on my list. This yeah. is the kind of card. I actually just, it has so many words, I often forget that it has quick draw. It does have quick draw. That's actually the main thing about it, I would say. I think it's the, <laughs> the best thing about it. I know. <laughs> um, and so I think that's why I didn't make my list, but... Yeah, but the I, the the stealing like the stealing your opponent's power thing really isn't that relevant most of the time occasionally but it might as well not even say that and it would still be a great card yeah right. uh, I, I find that when you reach six power and you're ready to actually play hold up with this uh, that's around the time when it's going to hurt your opponent a lot yeah and you might have the spare power to do it i don't know it, it tends to work out yeah all right next is acidonis untainted that is the four Skycrag three four dragon with flying mastery three. Increase the damage of a spell in your hand by three. Mastery twelve. Create and draw three copies of a spell in your hand. Yeah, that's a really strong card. Yeah, it is. I lost to someone who played this on four, mm -hmm. 
and then attacked with it, and then increased the damage of the Provoke Dragon spell they had in their hand. And then the next turn, played that for five damage to my face. Berserked this. I guess there must have been one more turn in there. Because they then, with the Berserk, triggered the Mastery 12. Yeah. And then made three copies of Seer. Uh-huh. That's another nine damage. Yeah. Yeah, you did. Uh, <laughs> I've I've been on the receiving end. I was unable to kill an, uh, an Acidonis that my opponent had. They they buffed a Greed's Reward in their hand. Um it was that's that's the spell uh it's a three three and a primal to do one damage uh, to an enemy but if you decimate then you draw as many cards as the damage that greed's reward did so now uh that was a card that decimates to draw four cards <laughs> and deal four damage um and i was not able to kill acidonis before it kill it hit me three more times unfortunately and so then they had four greed re- greed's rewards. <laughs> it was kind of a, a game where like I wasn't able to reasonably do anything, so my opponent was able to do whatever they wanted, yeah. and they got to do the best possible thing. <laughs> that's uh, that's actually quite the card for that situation because to hold that card in your hand, being like I'm gonna get the twelve mastery with this yeah. and make four copies, that is greed's reward. It is indeed. It's it's very flavorful. Uh, also, once you have uh, buffed that Greed's Reward, it's awfully hard to put a blocker in front of Acidonis because, <laughs> like any any plan that you have that involves putting flyers in front of it, uh, just get obliterated by these four damage Greed's Rewards. So, yeah. it te- Acidonis is a card that tends to snowball, and uh, so yeah, it's a threat that can't be ignored. It's pretty cheap, pretty good card. Yes, I agree, and. Um... Unlike some of these flyers, it has that fourth piece of toughness, which I think is very good. Yeah, stacks up very well against the Seer. All right, then you have Ancestral Oasis, which is the four time time plus two maximum power, pay two and sacrifice Oasis to invoke time. Yeah, Uh, this is on here because it has invoke on it. Um, It's that's why. Yeah, uh, I, I just love how this card plays. Uh, it, it in a in a deck in a in a format where sometimes you have a deck that wants to play like seven power weapons and other seven power cards. Ancestral Oasis fits into that plan very nicely. You play your your two and three drops to establish yourself on board. On four, you go Ancestral Oasis, and then you're threatening to be able to play some of the best cards in the game on the next turn. Uh, and then if you don't need that much power anymore, if you start flooding out, Oasis turns into a usable card. Uh, it just plays very, very smoothly, and I've been happy with it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I guess uh, maybe I'm not respecting the invocability, which is maybe the only card that I'm not doing it on. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Because, I mean, I guess... Uh, in a sense, it's really just like a Kazuo, where you're paying for it to invoke. Yes. You know, because you that next turn you get the two max power, which pays for the two to sacrifice it. Yeah. Um, you don't usually do that, like, you don't usually play Ancestral Oasis and then on your next turn immediately sacrifice it. Uh, no, you, you don't, but... You I, can. You know, in, late, in late game situations. Sure. 
you know, then you're really just paying for to invoke, which is, I guess, I would consider a fine rate since I would do that with Cosmo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much the deal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, All this right. is essentially six power if you top deck it and, you know, you don't need the extra power next turn. So you're paying six power to invoke, which is a lot. Yes. Um, but it's not more, much more than Kazuo, who is five. Yes. Uh, so it's a similar thing. Uh, it's, it's slightly different because it's definitely a defensive card that where you're where you're trying to ramp up so that you can uh, stabilize your board position rather than put a, a aggression on the board. Um, but I do think it's in the same league as as Kazuo in a in a way. Yeah. I, Kazuo's better, but I, I I still like Ancestral Oasis a lot. Yeah, I guess I I also just don't like the time time. That's fair. In a in a do nothing card sort sure. of. Sure. You know what I mean. Yeah, that's fair. Um. All right. Uh. Next, we both have Brutal Frostlord, which is the four primal primal two four with flying killer. Pay seven to deal one damage to the enemy player for each card in their hand. Great I put this Master's on my Blade. list. Uh, yeah, yeah, very good with Master's Blade. Immediately a four six with Killer. I put it on the on my on my list because I'm intimidated by it. Uh, its name intimidates me. I don't even I don't even care what it says on the card. I just would. I'm pretty sure it's the best card in the set. <laughs> No, I mean this. I think this fits all of the. This checks all the boxes for a a rare you want a value. I mean, its body isn't the biggest, but it does have flying. It does have killer, so it can two for one. You know, it it does have the potential for the two for one. It's a flyer, so it can get in chip damage, and then it can start. Um, ending the game <laughs> you know yeah. it has a repeatable damage effect yeah it does it, it does it does additional damage uh like it's basically like a it's basically like a flyer that gets super evasion later you know uh it even if it's only doing one damage per turn with that with that ability and it's very expensive it's still something that your opponent has to deal with Either they have to empty their hand and then you know exactly what they're playing with or um or they continue to take damage, you know, it sort of puts them in a position where they have to do something. Uh, but it's a good card, even if it didn't have that text on it. And it's rare that that is actually hugely relevant to a draft game, but anything that gives you inevitability is good. Mm-hmm. All right. So then next is strange blacksmith, which is the four Recrano four, three. When a player plays a stranger, they draw a weapon from their void, pay eight and exhaust strange blacksmith to deal three damage to an enemy. And you gain three attack. Yeah, just a good or g- gain three armor, sorry, and you yeah. gain three armor. What a good yeah. card! Yeah, just a good card. Uh, good size for its cost. Four three for four is good. Um, the just getting a weapon back can sometimes be absolutely crazy. Uh, and I don't know. That's yeah, I mean, and this it, has a lot of like really interesting interplay. I actually got not blown out because I, I ended up winning, but. Um, I was really surprised because my I played this and my opponent play had an interloper on board. They played the uh, two one quick draw weapon on the interloper, and then started attacking in. I had to kill it. You kill it. The interloper turns into a shade, which triggers the strange back blacksmith, yep. and they get to draw the two one again. Yes. 
So there's just like, I don't know, a lot of interesting interactions. Because like Blade Crafter, this can get any weapon, not just a relic weapon. And so there's a lot of cute things that you can do with this and can be done with you like that. Yes. Yeah, this is another one that can kind of backfire. Not as badly as Gladiator, but uh, if your opponent happens to be playing a bunch of strangers, they can get a lot of value that way. Uh, But you're the one that has this card to begin with, so presumably it's part of your deck's plan and you've got a couple of cheap weapons to get back. Yeah. Um, And I've never really been able to get the eight. (laughs) Me neither. I also haven't. But what a great ability. It is. It's very good. Yeah, you can do it to your opponent's face if you want. Slowly kill him. Um, All right. Then next we both have Strange Burglar, which is the four Stone Scar 5-4. When when a player plays a stranger, their units get plus one attack this turn. Pay two, exhaust Strange Burglar, and sacrifice another unit to draw three cards and take three damage. Yeah. Yeah, unlike most of the other rare strangers, this is a very cheap ability. Um, but you still can't do it that often because eventually you die. <laughs> um, but but it draws three cards. It's so strong. I know it's crazy. Um, yeah, the yeah, and yeah, th- this is one of the best strangers I think, um, because even just its enter the battlefield ability is just really good. Giving you know it allows you to do these do a lot of damage out of nowhere it draws you cards it's a really good body for how great its abilities are i mean yeah. the only problem for i ever have is i want to sacrifice stuff but i can't afford to take three damage and lose a blocker right um yeah because this does have to exhaust for sure it is awkward in that sense it it just plays very well with the kind of decks uh that want to sacrifice things because they you tend to have uh, like things like unfamiliar interloper and you know cinder Matoda and just sort of like some podunk units just sitting around and then strange burglar allows them to attack suddenly mm-hmm. uh, possibly get in some damage um, and uh, and then also also lets you repeatedly, sacrifice which is great because there's not that many cards that let you repeatedly sacrifice things but um that's the kind of thing you want if your if your win condition is mysterious waystone or something and strange burglar can activate activate it multiple times this white kindling carver is also good yeah and the waystone really helps with the downside of losing three life it does they work very well together <clears throat> of course we're talking about an uncommon and a rare so that's not going to happen very often but um you know, one of the reasons that you're in the sacrifice deck often is that you get an early mysterious waystone or two. And so the strange burglar is already kind of set up. Yes. All right. Next is Tattoo Dragon, which yeah. is the four fire fire, four three flying pledge nightmare dragon. When you draw your second card in a turn, play a two two Oni Grunt. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not like, like, this is a marginal one for me, honestly. Tattoo Dragon's good. But not exciting. Yes. I agree. It, Yeah, I almost feel like you're compelled to put this on the list just because a 4-3 flyer is good. Yeah. And and this does have pledge. But it I do think this good. is close to Seer, which I don't know if this is saying a lot about Tattoo Dragon or a lot about Seer. 
but um yeah 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 like this this gets blocked by basically any other medium-sized flyer Mm -hmm. uh, either blocked or traded with so you're going to want to get a bunch of value off of the off of its text most of the time and it's not that easy to do there's a few cards that draw additional cards um so it's just sort of a generically good card it's really hard to take advantage of its ability in a meaningful way in a draft deck. Like you'll have a few cards that will activate the and and create a two two uh, two two grunt, mm-hmm. but nothing dramatic probably. Yeah. All right. Then next you have Alban the Fallen on your list, which is the five Elysian Elysian three three Aegis Charge Endurance Summon Enemy Units Are Reckless and Can't Fly Until Your Next Turn. Corrupted too. Yeah, this is a card that has too many abilities, uh, and they don't really go together that well. Like it's weird for this three, three for five to have charge, and Aegis. Honestly, uh, it. But however, it does completely wreck your opponent after it comes down. Because all of their entire army attacks into yours and then you choose blockers because that's how the game works. So they're probably going to have a real bad turn after Albin comes down. And then you can block with Albin and use it again. <laughs> and that's two bad turns your opponent has. So yeah, I, I think it plays... I think it was hard to evaluate this card until I played with it and realized, oh, I, I am not losing any game where I cast this guy. <laughs> Yes. I, yes. It's funny because I've always been really high on this guy because in the first week of this format, I, I got so wrecked by this card. I was like, I can't lose. And then like <laughs> my whole board of flyers just died. And I'm like, I did like that embarrassing thing where you like scroll over the card to reread yeah. it. Then you like look at your board and you scroll over the card again. Yeah. None of my cards have flying this turn. What? <laughs> like and they have to attack. There's, but they're no tiny. How, how they're many times players. I read this card, there's there's no way out of this situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, Plus, even if you kill Alvin somehow, the ability is still active. Yeah. <laughs> You're, all of your guys still have Reckless and they can't fly, even though Alvin is gone. Yeah. And yeah. it's hard to kill because of the Aegis, so... Yeah. I know. Um, uh, the only but... thing is that it does cost two time and two primal, and so it's a little bit hard to actually make the thing come down on your board. Yes. Uh, I would say that's probably the biggest reason why you would put it below Seer, is that it's just so hard to summon the thing. Yes, and that's, that is the only reason. I mean, yeah... I mean, there are situations where Albin doesn't save you because, like, when you're really far behind because he is, you are paying five for a 3-3. Three, three, mm-hmm. But that's not that big of a knock. For me, it's mostly just the casting cost. Is That is a big commitment um, to... Yeah, that is a big it, commitment. Yeah, it, it, the tension here is between... Um, how powerful the card is and there's no question that it's powerful and how likely you are to be able to actually play it and that's the tension with a lot of cards such as the you know the displays uh and and any other card that requires uh that has pretty strict influence requirements 
Um, and for me, the how powerful the card is kind of tips it over into into really great territory. But also, you know, sometimes you just have to let Albin go because the deck doesn't your deck's influence doesn't line up, so you can actually play him, and that's the risk that you take when you take him early. Yes. All right, then uh, next, where we can say a lot of the similar things, is Hammer of Glory, which is the four Rakano Rakano 4-5 Relic Weapon. Mm-hmm. Your avatar can attack sites when your avatar attacks a unit, silence it. Yeah, so it might as well not say that you can attack sites, because that's going to come up very rarely. Um, and it's not a huge weapon for its cost. It's only a 4-5. But the fact that it silences a unit, um, so it's never a threat again... That's pretty good. Yes. Yeah, I think I'm lower on this card than most people are, but... It's also just as hard to make this thing as Albin. So, yes. Yeah. But I do have this on my list, and I guess the, for me the main reason is that I find myself in Rakano colors a little bit more than I find myself in Elysian. That's fair. Um, but... But yeah, I don't know. It's a it it is a big weapon. It's you. It's one of the only five cost weapons where you're like pretty likely to get a two for one. You know, so it's not like uh, you know the only other five cost weapon is the um, the three three, right? Um, plate mail. Yeah, yeah. You know. Unlike plate mail, you know, you are going to get... I guess plate mail also can give you a two-for-one. But, you know, four or five at least... A four or five weapon at least has a chance to kill multiple things. Oh, yeah, it's pretty beefy. Um, so, and a common situation is you'll have, like, one thing with evasion that you need to get rid of, and then they won't be able to immediately kill the Hammer of Glory because you killed their one brood of Aramod or whatever. Um Yes. Yeah, so, like, it tends to play pretty well where you can take care of the one threat that could actually kill the Hammer of Glory itself with your first strike, and then you get your pick of which thing to kill next. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And also, there are enough cards that you want to be able to silence uh, that this is another way of of doing it. Um, You know, like, there's things that you can... that, that. uh, like the it, like they're never triumphant returning the thing that you hit with this you know like it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a silence and a removal in one, and there's not that many cards that that do that. Mm-hmm. All right, then next is Aura Piercer. This is the six shadow 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 six five flying quick draw. Your spells and curses can't be negated or stopped by Aegis tribute invoke. So this is the closest thing to a traditional rare bomb that exists in this format. Yes. <laughs> you know, I know not, I, I've, I've seen people act like this card isn't exciting. You know, they'll be like, eh, it's just, just a little, it's just a big flyer. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> that yeah. used to be what a, what a bomb was in Magic the Gathering. You would take like Shivan Dragon, which was just a big flyer, and that's all it was. But it was incredibly hard to deal with a giant flyer. And it's the same thing. Uh, it has Quick Draw, which is always a weird ability on a flyer. But, you know, if there is, if they, like, they can't gang block it with a bunch of humbugs or anything and kill it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to pick off your opponent's flyers until it eventually starts doing damage. Um, the spells and curses can't be negated or stopped by Aegis is not really, uh, ever relevant, but, uh, but the invoke sure is. Yes. 
Yeah, no, this is, I'm actually, this is the card that I'm always surprised I don't see more of. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, like, it's it's pretty much like, it's a good reason just to play Shadow, and it does require triple influence in Shadow, uh, and it should, because it's that powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and sometimes it's a little hard to get the invoke off. You know, you do have to maybe sometimes suicide something in and you're uh, a savvy opponent will see, oh, they're attacking with some stuff that wants to die. Maybe I shouldn't block. But then, then you're getting damage in. And maybe you just play your 6-5 flyer anyway, even without the invoke, and now they have to deal with that. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Then next, you have Unseen Execution, which is the 6 Argentport Argentport spell kill each unit with fewer than two battle skills i do have unseen execution i've never played with this card looks very powerful (laughs) yeah i have played with this a couple times and i do like the card but i once again put this closer to the um if i'm in these colors i will definitely play you know if i'm in this deck i will play it what i have found to happen is if I pick this early, you you almost end up. I at least I end up warping my deck in like not great ways around it yeah. because it's because you try to make it work too much and then you start playing with like not good units or getting too cute in order to make this a great card instead of making this just a hard to cast harsh roll. Yeah, I think that's what you have to treat it as. I imagine because again, I haven't played with it. I've been wrecked by it before. Yes, uh, but I haven't. Uh, I haven't. I haven't played it. And uh, certainly, there's going to be situations where your opponent has a has a board that where some of their units survive, or even one of their units survives, and then execution doesn't seem so good. So I honestly have a hard time evaluating it. Um, yeah. I haven't been able to play with it and really get a feel for it, but. Uh, again, it's high end. It's so good. It's a... Yeah, I, I, I kind of put this as more of a fun build around than yeah. a very powerful card. That's fair in my mind because I think it's a fun puzzle to try to crack. But I, in the two or three times that I've tried to do it, it has, it's been like you have like really fun, great blowouts, and then you have turns where you really need this card to do something and then they play the like 2-2 flying aegis guy and you're like oh i'm dead now <laughs> yep um so anyway so that's that's the, the problem is with this card is it's hard to cast and sometimes it really really lets you down <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, sorry that I I'm sorry that I put a card that let you down so hard on this. List. No, no, I don't. But I, I feel just like I brought up bad like, memories. You know, like <laughs> with your harsh rule and stuff like that. Like I feel like you need consistency in these like save. I don't know, like save my butt kind of cards. That's and fair. the fact that this card doesn't have that is a little tough. Um, all right, then next um, we both have Bodian Rocks in here. That is the seven time time nine nine pledge at the end of your turn. If you have no cards in your hand, draw Bodian Rocks from your deck. Yeah, uh, I, I had this as my card of the week a couple of weeks ago, and uh, yeah, it, it's it, it's huge for one thing. Uh, it's a nine nine, which is a little bit bigger than anything else in the format. It has pledge, so 
if you it, it helps smooth out your opening draws and then it just plays really well because if you it draws itself um, at the time when you want to be drawing a seven drop because you've played all the cards in your hand and you probably have seven power on the board it just plays very smoothly I agree I agree it, this is interesting because we it does make me wonder where we put Corpse Bloom in our top 10 because we did have this big debate on whether we liked Corpse Bloom or Bodian oh, yeah. Rocks more. Yeah. Uh, and whether w- would you take Corpse Bloom over Seer? Uh, uh, you know, I don't think that I would. Corpse, I, that's weird though because I would take, I might take Corpse Bloom over Bodian Rocks. So I guess I would take Corpse Bloom over Seer. <laughs> Except I, I would take Seer over over Corpse Bloom. So I don't know what I'm talking about, apparently. No, I'm <laughs> in the exact same situation where I would probably take Corpse Bloom over Bodian Rocks, but then I would probably take Seer over Corpse Bloom. So maybe you should just ignore everything we've been saying for the last hour and a half, because we make no sense. This is the trouble with ranking cards. I know, yeah. but you have to do it, because you are in these situations where, you know... Um, yeah. Well, I'm not currently in that situation. I've never had to choose between Bodian Rocks and a Corpse Bloom before. Oh, okay. And then once I am in that position, I guess I'll just hem and haw until my stream is over three hours later. <laughs> you'll get you'll get back to us. I will. <laughs> Maybe I'll make up my mind at some point. All right. Then uh, the final card, uh, I have Hammerhand in here, yeah. which is the eight fire, 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 fire. 10-5, summon, deal 5 damage to 2 enemy units, corrupted 5, so you get to do it again. Yeah. Uh, this is... I, I don't know, the reason I have it in here is I've never successfully casted a Hammer Hands, despite having it in um, a few decks. But it's just so powerful. Like, what a game-ending awesome card. Right? Yeah, yeah, no question. So if, I, if, so if it's Pack one, pick one, you know, and why shouldn't you take it? I guess so. Yeah. I mean, it's super hard to actually play the card. Uh, <laughs> that's the only problem with it. Uh, it's very, very powerful if, it's, if it gets on the board. Uh, yeah. I can't really say anything else about it, except that it's just past the threshold of what I think I'm likely to actually be able to play in a real game. Yes, I know. It's it's such a tantalizing card in that way. Yeah. <laughs> it's Where it's close to the threshold <laughs> you're like and it's so powerful and i've yeah, been by it a lot but have you i haven't really seen it uh in play very often oh no people have people have definitely played hammer hands against me okay. like i said i've i've played several of them and have i've yet to hammer any hands but um <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what it means it's the hammer of hands. <laughs> Not a person with with hands like hammers at all. <laughs> it's a person who hates hands and hammers them. <laughs> but uh <laughs> No, no, absolutely. I mean, it's it, there's no question that it's a powerful card. It costs 8. It better be. Yeah. Uh, but uh it just sort of, you know, I I like realistically, there's. I'm. I'm. I know that there's. Uh, my attitude towards a lot of these cards is very inconsistent. Where it's sort of like, oh, this is hard to cast, but it's so great. Um, but this is hard to cast, and I don't like it. 
and and that comes down to feel to a certain degree and also a little bit of inexperience with a card. I've drafted Hammerhand before and I've put it in decks and I've never been able to actually um, put it on the board. And so it's hard for me to say that I like it or that I want to keep taking it. I've just had that. That's been my experience with it. Um, I think it's hard to end up in a slow controlling fire deck where fire is like the main thing you're doing. Not that hard because you're sometimes the kind of, if you're the kind of deck that wants to play a shoe goes hooked sword, you're probably also the kind of deck that wants to play hammer hand. Um, but I had that exact choice a couple of drafts ago, and I wish I'd taken the shoe goes hooked sword because it would have been a better for the final deck. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. I guess was this an early pick? It was a first pick. It was an it was a completely first pick. Yeah, see, that's a tough one because I can definitely imagine a lot of decks where you would rather have the Shugo Hook Sword in the end. But I don't know. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe maybe your hammer hands shouldn't be there. It's just so powerful that I feel like it's worth trying to build around. But maybe it was certainly worth discussing. Yeah, maybe it's not. I don't know. All right, cool. So that is all our rares that that we have above Seer, which I think is a pretty comprehensive list. Um, what do we want to talk about next? Well, we could talk about the cards that we would take above Waystone Gate, but I'm not nearly as confident in in that in this list. Is even though I've uh, like as <laughs> you saw how hard a time I had just trying to just saying out loud that Waystone Gate was the best uncommon. It's it's still even though I've justified it over and over and over again, it still seems like it shouldn't be true. Also, my list I made very quickly, and I can see some problems with it because <laughs> I still have unseen execution on there, and uh, it might be a much worse card than I think it is. That's a, just a, that's I just haven't had any experience with it at all. And I also uh, apparently the Tota Pioneer because I still have it as being better than Waystone Gate. And gosh, I just I feel like I'm right about that, but uh, maybe it seems a little bit counterintuitive. Yeah, well, let's just... Uh, I'll take off Unseen Execution. We'll pretend that never happened. And we'll, we'll, let's do that. I'll just read your 10 rares that you would pick over Waystone Gates. Uh, right. Since we've talked about all of these, I'm not going to reread them, but just give people the list, and um, we'll leave it at that. Okay. So here is Hats on Lamps. <laughs> I hate setting things in stone. I just want everyone to know that. Conclusive, <laughs> conclusive exhaustive list of the top 10 rares you would take over Waystone Gate. I don't stand by this at all. <laughs> hey, number one. And this is it. This is it. <laughs> I hate being pinned down. You know why voodoo dolls work? It's because it involves pins. <laughs> okay. Yep. This is definitely in ranked order. So number one, Tota Pioneer. It's not in number ranked order <laughs> at all. It's just the order that Eternal Warcry puts them in. You can't prove that. Number two, <laughs> Master's Blade. Number three, Strange Ally. Number four, Strange Broker. Number five, Strange Duelist. Number six, Strange Gladiator. Number seven, Unseen Lombo. <laughs> number eight. I screwed up the numbering somewhere. <laughs> yeah, we're on like number 
We're on like number seven now. Did you just say number four? No. Okay. No. Okay. Great. Number number eight, Acidonis Untainted. Number Great. nine, Strange Blacksmith, and number ten, Aura Piercer. Great. There Great. you have it. Never mind the hats on lamps shaped hole in the wall where I have exited the room now. <laughs> What's your list? Let's take a look at your list. Oh gosh. So yeah, my list is more or less the same. That's not true at all. I only have nine cards on my list, though. Okay. But uh, I, we'll read my list. Okay. You want to read it in dramatic, a dramatic reading of my if list? If you tell me where it is. Here is uh, Potamara's uh, uh, set in stone, exhaustively researched, uh, peer-reviewed list <laughs> of car of rare cards that he would take over Waystone Gate, uh, and we're leaving off just Hammer of Unity. And Master's Blade. Okay, so here, here is the list. Strange Navigator, Strange Duelist, Strange Gladiator, Acidonis Untainted, Brutal Frostlord, Strange Blacksmith, Strange Burglar, Aura Piercer, and Hammerhand. <laughs> Why'd you pause on that one? <laughs> I just wanted to draw the H out a little bit. Uh, maybe, maybe Hammerhand is actually... Uh, is actually made of ham, and then the second that's the first part is ham, and then the second part is merhand, which is a half human, half hand <laughs> like a mermaid, yeah. but merhand, <laughs> a race of half hand people, but made of ham. <laughs> that's what I'm getting from this picture. That's what I'm getting from the picture as well. Great. Well, I think that's uh, that'll be the end of our show here. That will be our show. So thanks again to all our patrons for making the show a success. And for those of you who are not patrons, a reminder to give us five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. You can join us in our Discord. There's a link in the show notes. Um, finally, thumbs up all of Raven Dragon's Reddit posts and leave a comment. It really helps get the word out for the show. And don't forget to send all your 7-1 deck lists you do this week to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And remember to keep on farming. Keep on farming. Have a good night. Have a good night. Bye. Hey, essential business. The keep on farming. You can you, you literally can keep on farming right now. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, keep farming. I know. If you're farming, keep doing it. Yeah. Because it's essential because we need farmers because we need food. Those okay. of us in cities need farmers. <laughs> I know. We actually have had quite a few people like Brooklynites suddenly looking for farming jobs. <laughs> <laughs>